Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we're going to take a look at Leaf's investment pitch deck from fourth quarter of 2020 to help us do that. It's Katrina Glogowski, angel investor and attorney here at the World Trade Center. Katrina, thanks for being uh, on the podcast with me. Good morning, Josh. And we are at the World Trade Center today. Good morning. All right, so let's take a look. We're going to dive into the seven tips of a successful investment deck. So we're going to rate this pitch deck on seven tips, which number one is to identify the business plan goals. Number two is if they know their audience. Three, do they understand the market? Number four, have they identified needs and roadblocks? Five, do they know what sets the business apart? Six, have they introduced the team and products? And number seven, did they create a summary with a call to action? Let's jump right into this investor presentation. To our viewers and or listeners out there, I forgot my glasses today, so everybody's going to get a full point because I can't actually read the pitch decks on my computer screen. It's <laughs> not a requirement. 37 pages long. All right. They just lost the free point for no glasses. Wow. All right. So this is our update to the response for the pandemic. They have, they're an essential business, allowing companies to continue to meet the needs of its customers. They've introduced a PIN-based debit paying method in several states, which I don't think is legal in Washington. They're enforcing social distancing. Core values here, their, their vision is to be the world's leading cannabis company by leading the world in cannabis education, accessibility, customer satisfaction with high quality products backed by science with the mission to improve lives by providing clarity around cannabis and confidence around consumption. And their values is passionate commitment a drive to deliver, respect for all, commitment to innovation. Sounds good, lots of buzzwords. All right, pioneering cannabis since 2010. Some of their milestones is that they established a medical device company in 2010, all the way to 2020, completing an acquisition of Acres in Nevada. They won a medical retail license in Utah, closed a $300 million senior term loan facility opened two dispensaries in Massachusetts, awarded a clinical registration license in Pennsylvania, closed the select acquisition, completed a vertical integration in Connecticut with the purchase of three dispensaries, closed a Colorado edible manufacturer, and closed the grassroots acquisition. Josh, that's huge. Uh, this is the uh, merge and acquisition, M&A, uh, that we have been talking about, and they have fueled the bulk of their growth through acquisition. Yeah, and they say close, which is good because it's not a letter of intent. It's not a memorandum of understanding. It's not, um, you know, some Canadian LP like our friends Canopy that just love their PR but don't close on anything and write off $3 billion. So I'm liking it so far. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened in between 2010 and 2020. One of the things here, though, I would like to point out to possible investors uh, here in 2018, they closed $400 million in equity financing. Uh, that is excellent news, uh, very good for Cure Relief. But if you are going to invest at this stage, you are behind $400 million that came in before you. So keep that in mind. And when you see big, big numbers like that. Um, just uh, be aware as an investor where you're going to be in the pecking order. Yeah, and they grabbed five stores in Arizona, which is up for vote um, in just a few days, actually, for um, uh, not medical, but recreational stores. And one of the licenses that I've seen in Phoenix went for $20 million 
um, back in 2018. So I know that they're incredibly expensive and coveted and all of that. So they're on top of it. They're a couple years in advance. So first mover advantages are obvious. Yes. All right, we've got uh, three dozen slots. So moving right along. Uh, total addressable market, billions. Skip that. All right. Strategy summary. They're going to focus on the core stable medical use uh, expansion into adult use markets, building a national brand through coast to coast rollout, expanding retail channel ownership and wholesale access and vertical integration through a continued investment in cultivation and processing, which is actually on the come up for investors. So it, you, it was multi-state operators that had a lot of collateral uh, with buildings. And now we're seeing a lot more M&As and overall um, purchases that include cultivation as people are moving towards uh, vertically integrated opportunities. Simply put, Josh, they're big. Yeah, they're huge. So medical revenue um, tends to wean off once it becomes a regulated marketplace. Medical is pretty much dead in Washington and the entire West Coast. You get a 10% discount. That's about it. Um, unfortunately, you don't get any higher dosing, which would be nice, especially in a edible 100 milligrams and they're going to do a medical patient any good and so maybe that'll change down the road but taking a look at some of their uh, business uh, predictable revenue from uh, patient metrics for medical in june of 2020 they had over 100,000 active patients spending about 106 dollars with a gross revenue of over 25 million uh, which is actually more than june of 2019 so that's not what we see in most rollouts uh, or most regulated marketplaces. So um, that's probably because maybe they're expanding into places like Arizona that are medical only, and that's the only option. But again, once Arizona goes uh, rec, those medical numbers will decrease dramatically as the rec and out of convenience, it'll just go up. And these numbers might be explained by acquisition instead of development. If they bought a company that had a landmark in, in one of these medical states, then of course you would expect their numbers to jump. Mm -hmm. uh, medical revenue continued to provide them a stable base even after a state began adult use sales. So trying to contradict what we just said, but uh, Colorado is a unique uh, is unique because the vertical integration and the longevity that they've had, there's a lot of um, opportunities for low cost. So if you own seed to sale, then you can undercut everybody. And that is kind of what's helping with uh, some of the monopolies there. And we can see that on the concentration basket from a lot of the headset reports that we report on is Colorado's got a, a tight amount of concentration uh, just for that reason. Mm -hmm. So some of the brands that they're spanning medical and adult use segments uh, from wellness to lifestyles, um, trying to get uh, you know, soccer moms all the way to uh, the millennials. Mm -hmm. Continued investment in vertical integration, unlocking value. So their vertical model, Cure Leap and Grassroots, uh, from cultivation to process to retail, and then at the wholesale model uh, and uh, a combination uh, domination is what they're going for here, Josh. Yes, global domination. Mm -hmm. So the retail channels and wholesale access, they have 93 stores trying to get up to 135 plus and their distributors are over 1100. 
So that's, uh, that's clutch. I mean, that's pretty key to, you can make as many products as you want, but if you don't have the distributors to get those into stores in the hands of consumers, none of that really matters. Yeah. All right. So one of the most well-capitalized and financially stable companies, according to them, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they're, they executed a non-dilutive $300 million debt raise in January of 2020, raising their net proceeds to $185 million. That's, that's really good timing, considering that everything else kind of crashed. But cannabis, obviously, is one of those uh, few, if you're out of Massachusetts, that is, one of the, the few industries that saw thriving business when everything else kind of was shut down. So continued support from shareholders. They're committed to providing $100 million in capital if needed. Uh, five consecutive quarters of positive EBITDA. And despite the pandemic in Massachusetts and Nevada with temporary store closures there, they managed to have a revenue growth of 16% and grew 40% sequentially in the second quarter of 2020 claiming to have ample cash on hand and several states continuing to generate operating cash flow, paving the way for significant organic cash flow, which is important right now because post pandemic, a lot of investors are looking to see if you're generating revenue. And if you're not, probably not going to get that, uh, that capital that you need. So all that much more important. It's nice that they have cash in the bank that uh, we call that runway. That's, that's good. Yes. So they're uh, an industry leader with over 2 million square feet in cultivation. Uh, they have 200,000 patients served, active dispensary accounts of over 1,193 retail uh, locations that we mentioned, 20 cultivation facilities, 30 processing facilities, 192 million addressable population in 33 states with regulated operations. Uh, again, Josh, they are huge. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of the total addressable market that I would like to see rather than just the billions that are available. Tell me what you're actually doing. Uh, that's why we skipped that slide. This one will emphasize for, for obvious reasons because these metrics actually matter. <laughs> Agreed. And this shows you how you should do it going forward. Yeah, so far so good, but um, we're only on slide 19. <laughs> so prudent uh, growth here one of the most successful acquirers of cannabis assets. Um, they focus on return on investment capital, bringing discipline to acquisitions, which is important because again, when you look at Aurora, when you look at Canopy and they're just writing off billions, you don't hear that from Cureleaf uh, necessarily. Although I have heard some uh, really high valuations, but you know, they're not writing off their investor capital yet. I, I like the M&A strategy. We've talked about it before, but I am dubious here. On this slide, they say as of July 23rd, 2020, uh, they are the world's largest cannabis company. Really? Are you? Uh, by revenue, wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, and I that very well may be true, but whenever you say you're the best in the entire world, uh, let's look forward to their co competition slides, Josh. It's hard to say that because there's some private companies, but obviously this one gets the most press. We'll, we'll see. Uh, they got into Oregon, grabbing the number two vape market share uh, at an expensive price. So I think they paid between 800 and 900 million dollars for that. And we'll see if uh, shareholders put up with that in the eventuality that their stock price takes a dip. We've seen a lot of lawsuits for 
more simple things. Getting into North Dakota, they're up for um, either medical or rec this, uh, this election season. Michigan is new. New York is chomping at the bit, especially if uh, New Jersey goes rec. Um, and a lot of other, so Kentucky is interesting because Kentucky's pension plan is the least funded in the entire United States. So it's something like $200 million in the hole. So Kentucky should go medical or rec very, very soon because they are dead broke. And it looks like they have a CBD processing facility there, which could easily be uh, added to you know, THC or whatever. Once you have a foothold, easy to expand, but they are coast to coast. I have to say, Josh, this slide is very informative about Curaleaf, but also about the industry as a whole. Uh, when you look at this map, this map tells you about a variety of different problems totally unrelated to Curaleaf. Uh, so if you're just a casual uh, cannabis uh, enthusiast uh, that is interested about this, whether you're going to invest in Curaleaf or not, you should take a look at this deck because there's a lot in here. You could literally drive from the West Coast to the East Coast and hit a state that they're in. You could drive from Oregon to California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, and finally reach the coast and hit every single state they're in. And that speaks volume. That is, I cannot say for the thousandth time, they're huge. So slide 21 dives into their operating revenue. So number of licenses from dispensaries, 136, production licenses at 22, uh, cultivation revenue at 1.3 million. Uh, these are square foot feet, Josh, not dollars. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that makes more sense. And it, uh, it's, it's getting ridiculous. They're huge. Florida's got some asterisks next to it, which is appropriate because any anytime you talk about, about Florida, there should be an asterisk regardless of what you're talking about because mm -hmm. Florida's just one of those states. All right, current and future presence. Uh, they're trying to obviously expand even farther. They're a leading wholesaler of cannabis on the West Coast. Select has recently launched in Colorado and Connecticut, Florida, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Oklahoma with plans to expand to several additional key markets by the end of 2020. Huge. And just three weeks since its launch in Florida, Select Elite Live cartridges reached a million dollars in sales, uh, which is a lot better than getting a felony in Florida. Just... <laughs> All right, Curaleaf top six markets is uh, Massachusetts and Florida, Arizona, New Jersey, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. They're huge. So grassroots, uh, obviously they're going to be expanding. They're gonna just kind of follow on the coattails of what their parent company is doing uh, with an overlap of presence. So summing up the parts of Cureleaf and grassroots, uh, they're in a lot of states with a lot of population, with a lot of market share, a lot of dispensaries and wholesale partners. So claiming to be the largest US cannabis company, industry leader, uh, they're above Trueleaf, Cresco, Terrasend at about 121.4 million. And that's uh, for the second quarter of 2020. 
slide 27 dives into the experience and um, there's a lot there. So from, you know, McDonald's to Fidelity, KPMG is, is one of the big three accounting firms, uh, Nike, the Home Depot, Kraft, Apple, Beats, Bank of America, uh, Hostess, Twinkies, uh, all over the place. So that's kind of what you need is to normalize it. And the way to do that is to get uh, board members and team members that have that experience and they can bring that to the cannabis industry. This is what an investor looks for, Josh, uh, experience. Uh, if you notice, uh, no one on the board came from the world of cannabis uh, because a lot of folks forget cannabis is a business. Yes, it's a, it might be a fun business, uh, but to run a company of this size, you need business experience. All right, so why should an investor choose CureLeaf? They're well capitalized. They have five consecutive quarters of positive EBITDA, that's earnings before interest taxes, uh, depreciation and amortization. They're scalable through organic growth, uh, national presence, product category leaders, commitment to shareholder base. So they represent roughly 80% of the locked up shares. That's really good. Anything actually over 50% uh, is really good. Also telling of the original shareholders, no one has sold their shares. Now that might do, be to, due to a restrictive agreement, but that also tells you that they believe in the company. They're going to hold them because those shares are going to be worth more. Yeah, and you haven't heard that the CEOs bought $26 million mansions in Beverly Hills, like Mad Men. So uh, again, it kind of goes back to founders and how serious they are. Um, good management team. The upside, they're uniquely positioned to capture market opportunities through strong financial position, prudent use of capital, deal synergies, and significant anticipation revenue upside from build out of additional facilities and new adult use states. And I'm going to emphasize deal synergies. That's not what was happening at Aurora or Canopy. They just were PR. Most of those deals collapsed and the ones that didn't were written off by the tune of one to three billion dollars depending on who you're talking about so it looks like they got a thick appendix which is good so the deck wasn't you know three dozen slides i i have a couple of issues josh before we get to the seven points mm -hmm. um first the length of this pitch deck we've already addressed that it's it's quite lengthy but what they did what they did tell you about except for the total addressable market side that both of us despise they actually had a reason for that many slides. Uh, very few companies looking for investors are gonna need that many slides. Uh, but this really looks kind of more on the level of like getting ready for an IPO uh, with the amount of detail they put in here. And so take that uh, as a piece of advice. Uh, the second, they did talk about their competition a little bit on one slide using a bar chart. Uh, they did not say how many states their competition is in. They did not say how many licenses their competition has. They just used a bar chart. Again, getting to that little asterisk, we're the world's largest cannabis company by revenue. Okay, great. Uh, but I, I think they missed the mark there uh, with that. And then lastly, uh, as, as people who listen to this podcast know, Q3 
Cureleaf got into deep doo-doo with the FDA last year about uh, making dubious claims related to their products. Uh, and there was not a single mention of that FDA enforcement action. Uh, I don't know, did they settle it? Is it ongoing litigation? Uh, but if you're gonna invest in Cureleaf, you definitely wanna know what's going on with that FDA action. Um, and it was a cease and desist letter uh, and they got dinged pretty bad. Um, so I don't know why they didn't address it. Josh? It's, it's bad press. <laughs> I don't know why they, why they left that out, but you definitely kind of want to leave, uh, leave that in there because otherwise it's, it's misleading to an investor. They want to know everything that's, that's going to happen. Um, so we're not going to get too deep into the appendix to kind of talk about Massachusetts and the uh, opportunities there and talk about Florida, Arizona, New Jersey, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and they have a financial data for track record of their growth. So this is good. This is kind of what I was looking for early on to see their, uh, their progression of total revenue and cash. So it looks like their cash is coming down, which explain, is explainable by some of the acquisitions uh, with total revenue going up. So that's good that they're investing it and not buying mansions, presumably. <laughs> Total assets are going up appropriately. This is uh, very impressive numbers for what we usually see, Josh. I, they have $100 million cash in the bank. Uh, the shareholders... Uh, own the great majority of the company, uh, but uh, of course the shareholders. So that was a mistake. I mean the um, the the people involved with the company, uh, and we saw some big names on that list. Uh, again, they're not selling their shares; they're not cashing out. So non ifers that's the International Financial Reporting Standards. That's what everybody uses. Um, it's kind of like the metric system. The U.S. has their own system, and then everybody else in the world uses a different system called IFRS. And so this is a U.S. Um, and so there's a lot of off-balance sheet book entries you can use for non ifers which is why the rest of the world doesn't allow it. <laughs> but we'll just we'll we'll use and look at what we're given. Um, Starting off with net losses, looks like that's kind of, I mean, it's all over the place actually, kind of up and down. Um, income tax recovery expenses, they've got shareholder base compensation, which is going up probably in line with the, the stock price. And one-time charges uh, are also going up. So they are writing off things at, uh, at higher levels especially first quarter 2020, but total revenue looks solid. I really like cost of goods sold. Uh, and uh, I'm sure if we dove in here, we would learn some very interesting inf information about their cost of goods sold. But uh, you have to address your cost of goods sold in order to be profitable. And just to see it on a financial chart in the cannabis industry is impressive. From first quarter 2019 to second quarter 2020, the, the retail and wholesale revenue is almost quadrupled. So 
that's what an essential business will do to you in a pandemic. Or acquisition. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're also expanding. For a forex jump, that that that's not just because it, it, that's not same store sales. That's yeah. from acquisitions. Yeah, you're right. All right, so that is it. So let's take a look at the seven tips to a successful investment deck for Cura Leafs investor pitch deck. Number one, did they identify the business plan goals? Yeah. Do they know their investor audience? Yeah. Do they understand the market? Yeah. Have they identified needs and roadblocks? They didn't mention the FDA case. They didn't mention uh, the if they're if they're sales of CBD. They didn't mention that that hasn't gone through appropriate regulatory hurdles. And they have a lot of asterisks uh, like Arizona and Florida, uh, even though they have the licenses, when are they going to open? How much is the holding cost? Um, I'm going to give them a point there because they did a phenomenal job compared to what we normally see, but they did not address their the FDA hurdles and the regulatory hurdles that they will face. Uh, for example, in Kentucky, they're just putting a CBD plant in there. Uh, so I'm going to give them a half a point there, but only because everything else in their pitch deck was so well covered and their competition slide was abysmal. I wouldn't give them a point, so we'll meet halfway in the middle and give them a half because they didn't uh, necessarily do enough for potential roadblocks, which more people need to be transparent on. And number five, do they know what sets the business apart? Yes. Have they introduced the team and products? Yep. And have they created a, a summary with a call to action? Yep. Because I didn't see an ask in there. I don't think they asked for a specific dollar amount, but the last summary slide did talk about uh, how they are going to use the funds and uh, what they needed. Uh, but there wasn't like, okay, here's my 1-800 number, call me. They didn't give the terms of the deal either, Josh. Uh, so I, again, I caution investors, um, uh, if you're coming in behind everybody else's money, what, what piece of the pie are you gonna get? But uh, as a whole, I was very impressed by the data in this pitch deck. It, um, and, and so maybe I'm just have blinders on uh, to see an actual pitch deck that that's done very well. Uh, but I do think they created a summary. So we'll, uh, we'll compromise and give them half a point for that. So that's six out of seven leaves. That's a 86%. It's pretty good. Um, a lot better than the uh, 40 something percent that we gave MedMen last time. So really good deck, something that I would recommend somebody that's either vertically integrated or a retail shop, take a look at CureLeaf's investment deck. Um, you don't necessarily need three dozen slides to get your point across. They had a lot to go through with acquisitions and, and multiple brands to try and get that point across to show uh, potential investors and shareholders what that value is. So not necessary for the average person, but take a look at it and make sure that it's concise and gets the, the point across to meet the seven tips to a successful investment tech. Agreed, Josh. Thanks. All right. I want to thank my guest, Katrina Golgowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being here at the World Trade Center to go through the seven tips of a successful investment tech for Curely. Appreciate you being here in person. Yay. From the World Trade Center. Yay. <laughs> With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.